Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. The Holy Bible is the inspired Word of God. you believe that? Look at, we look at it for our direction, we look at it for our doctrine, we look at it for our theology. But in addition to the Bible and not opposing the Word of God are supporting texts and rabbinical works, history books, commentaries on people who were vital to the story we find in Scripture. Two of the most noted books are the Talmud or the Mishnah and the complete works of Josephus, the great historian. One story from several history books tells that During the first century B.C., about a hundred years before the birth of Christ, a devastating drought threatened to destroy a generation in Israel. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before, and miracles were such a distant memory that they seemed like a false memory. And God was nowhere to be heard. The world was in a period of what we would later know as the 400 silent years when a prophet did not step up and declare he had heard from the Lord. But there was one man, an eccentric sage who lived just outside the city of Jerusalem who dared to pray anyway. His name was Honi, H-O-N-I. And even if the people could no longer hear from God, he believed that God could still hear the people. When rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought. During a drought, it's the only thought. And Honey was their only hope. Honey was known as the rainmaker. He had prayed before and things had happened before in his prayers, but he would earn his moniker this day as the circle maker. So with a staff in his hand, and I brought my staff here today to kind of exercise it for you. With a staff in his hand, Honey put himself in the middle of the parched ground and he took his staff and he drew a complete circle, 90 degrees, 180, 270, 360. He drew a complete circle. And then he got inside of that circle. And when he got inside that circle, he began to pray. He looked up to the heavens and he looked at the crowd and he said, I am going to pray for rain. And with the authority of Elijah, who called down fire from heaven in First Kings chapter number 18, Honey called down rain. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. The words blessed the people that day, not a volume of his voice that was the problem or the the situation, but the authority of his tone, and there was not one hint of doubt. The words flowed from him from the depths of his soul. His prayer was resolute yet humble, confident yet meek, expectant yet unassuming, and then it happened. His prayer ascended raindrops began to descend upon the earth and an audible gasp swept across the audience and the thousands of congregants and the people rejoiced over every drop but honey wasn't satisfied with the sprinkle still kneeling he prayed not for such a rain as this have i prayed but for a rain that will fill cisterns and will fill pits and will fill caverns and all of a sudden the sprinkles turned to a torrential downpour that eyewitnesses said no raindrop was smaller than an egg in size. In fact, it rained so heavily that the people fled to the Temple Mount to escape the flash floods. And yet Honey stayed in the circle and he continued to pray. Once more he refined his bold request. He said, for not such rain have I prayed, 
but for a reign of thy favor and a reign of thy blessing and a reign of thy graciousness have I prayed. And it began to reign calmly and peacefully. And each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. Soak the skin and the spirit of their faith. We remember this as the day. It would always be remembered as the day. The day thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. The day puddle jumping became an act of praise. And the day the legend of the circle maker was born. It had been difficult to believe the day before the day. But the day after the day it was impossible not to believe. Before the first raindrop fell, Honey had to feel a little bit foolish. Standing inside of that circle, demanding rain is a risky proposition. Vowing you won't leave the circle until the rain comes is even riskier. But Honey didn't draw a semicircle, folks. He drew a complete circle. There was no escape clause. And there was no expiration date on his prayer. Honey backed himself into a circle. And the only way out of that circle was a miracle from God. Has anybody in this house come to church today with that kind of resolution in your life? Lord, I need something in my life today. I need victory in my life today. I need something in my life this week. I need something to happen to me this year. I need something to change in my home. I need something to change on my job. Why don't you draw a circle and get yourself in it? I told you last week there are seven. Everybody say 7,000. 7,000 promises in the Word of God, and every one of them have a yes attached to them. Every one of them have a yes. There are no no's in the promises of God. But if you read one a day and prayed a promise a day, it would take you 19.2 years to pray every promise in the Word of God. You know what I'm telling you? God can scramble you up in His promises. He can put you in his, his promise omelet and make you something delectable and make you gloriously blessed because God wants to bless his people. He wants to bless his church. He wants to bless his church. Somewhere in your life, you've got to get your pen and you've got to start circling promises in the word of God. You've got to start circling promises in your life. You've got to start believing that God will do what he said he would do because he is God. Say amen to that. I want to put a, a, a point up here. Drawing circles, prayer circles, often looks like an exercise in foolishness. But that's faith. Faith is not what you see. Faith is what you don't see and yet you still believe. Amen. Faith is the willingness to look foolish. Noah must have looked foolish building that boat in the middle of a desert for 120 years. The Israelite army must have looked foolish marching around Jericho's walls blowing trumpets. A shepherd boy named David must have looked foolish charging a giant with a slingshot in his hand. The wise men searching for Jesus must have looked foolish while tracking a star from over a thousand miles away. Peter looked very foolish getting out of a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a storm and walking toward Jesus. And Jesus must have looked foolish wearing a crown of thorns. But the results speak for themselves. Noah was saved from the flood. Jericho's walls came tumbling down. David defeated Goliath. Wise men discovered the Messiah. 
Peter did walk on the water and Jesus was crowned the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I know drawing prayer circles many times often feels foolish and the bigger the circle we draw, the more foolish sometimes we feel. But if you aren't willing to step out of the boat, you'll never walk on water. And if you're not willing to circle the city, the walls will never fall down. And if you aren't willing to follow the star, you'll miss out the greatest adventure of your life. Because Almighty God says, if you'll take a risk, I'll be your reward in your life. Because that's what God does to people who believe His promise. Clap your hands and rejoice to that this morning. Rejoice to that. What a joy. Amen. I need a hook for my staff to stay here. But in order to experience a miracle, you have to take a risk. In order to experience a miracle, you have to take a risk. And the most difficult type of risk is risking your reputation. The greatest chapters in history always begin with a risk. And the same is true with the chapters in your life. If you're unwilling to risk your reputation, you'll never build a boat like Noah or get out of one like Peter did one day. You cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to risk your own. I was a young minister in Dallas, Texas, and a young lady came to church one Sunday morning and had a daughter who was vexed with horrible water on the brain. She had a horrible problem of water on the brain, and it looked like that her baby would be retarded the rest of her life. It was a hydrocephalic condition, and I... I I realized that the buck was going to stop with me before that service was over. And sure enough, I preached on faith that day. And I believed God that day. And when I was 26 years old, pastoring my first church, I put my life at risk. My whole reputation at risk. But I really didn't. Because God was already going to take care of it. He was going to take care of it. God was going to take care of it. And I told that young lady to bring her baby down that morning and I prayed for that baby and had the elders come and we prayed. There was no ground shaking uh, situation. There was, no, there was no stars that fell. There was nothing that happened ex exciting in that service other than this. I said, take this baby tomorrow to the physician. She said, her appointment is not for a few days. And I said, take her tomorrow. I believe God has done a miracle. I didn't realize it then, but I had drawn a circle around the promise of God that if you ask anything in my name with faith believing, I will give it unto you. And the next day she went to the doctor and walked in the doctor's office and the nurse came out and said, what are you doing here, Linda? Her name was Linda. She said, I'm here with my baby. She said, why are you here? Your appointment's two weeks away. She said, my pastor told me to come. See, this Bible, this Bible has got promises. He healed the sick in this Bible. He raised the dead in this Bible. 
He unstopped deaf ears. He opened blind eyes in this Bible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just preaching the Word of God here today. And I'm not afraid to circle and step in that circle and say, with His stripes we are healed. I'm not afraid to say that today. They took that baby back. The doctor checked its eyes and noticed something immediately was different about that baby. So they took her back and he called three other physicians in. And I've told this story before and it's still the same. He said, something's, something's different with this child. Something's different. They ran tests on her. They, they put her in an MRI. They put her in all these kind of things that would, the CAT scans. They did everything. They tested her for the next three and a half hours. And finally they came back and they sat in the room with Linda. And they said, Linda, there's something we need to tell you. And she knew that they probably were going to tell her something bad again. And she said, what? She began to cry. They said, your baby is whole. Your baby is whole. They said, listen, listen. They said, where did you take this child? Where did you take it? She said, he, she, he said did you take it to another physician? She said, yes. I took it to the great physician. And I saw that baby some 12 years later. I was preaching at a particular place and I saw this little kid run to me. The mother had to tell her who I was and she came running and jumped in my arms. A little 12-year-old kid, 13-year-old kid, she just came and jumped and I said, well, who are you? She said, I am. And she identified herself and here I looked over and I saw Linda, the mother, and this baby was bright and she said, Pastor, the baby is a straight-A student. She's a brilliant child. She's never had another look back at the hydrocephalic condition. There's no more water on her brain. God healed her that day. I know what circle making's all about. I know what it is to stand in a circle and put your life at risk and put your ministry at risk and put your whole reputation at risk. But God said, you won't do that because when you believe me, I'll step up to the plate and I'll be the God you need me to be for you right now. Hallelujah. You've got to risk sometimes your own reputation. Circle makers are risk takers. Circle makers know they can't get it done without God. Circle makers put it on the line or at least inside the circle. Moses learned this lesson very well back in the days when he brought Israel out of Egypt. If you don't take a risk, you forfeit the miracle in your life. After 400 years of slavery, God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. But it's much harder getting Egypt out of Israel than it is getting Israel out of Egypt. Despite the memories of slavery and the miracles of deliverance, the Israelites want to go back to Egypt. It's amazing. They'd been out for about 40 days and they wanted to go back to Egypt. In Numbers chapter, four, uh, chapter 11, verse 4, 5, and 6 says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. And they didn't understand manna because its original definition is what is it? They didn't know what they was eating. It looked like a coriander seed. It tasted like it tasted like honey, and later it would taste like fresh oil. But the Israelites were complaining because there was no meat to eat. Instead of manna, they wanted meat. But talk about selective memory. 
The Israelites longingly remembered the free fish they ate in Egypt, but they forgot one little fact, that the food might have been free, but they were in bondage. They wanted The Israelites weren't just slaves. They had been victims of genocide, and yet they missed the meat on the menu. That's what you're missing. You've just been set free. The Red Sea has parted. God has opened up and closed it on the Egyptian army, and you're missing the meat on the menu. Your clothes are not going to ever wear out. Your shoes are not going to wear out. There's going to be a rock that's going to follow you that's going to produce water. There's going to be manna every day, and you're missing meat on the menu. Despite their incessant, despite their incessant complaining, God patiently responds to their food tantrum. They threw a fit was one of the most unfathomable promises in the Scripture, and it's one of the greatest things that most people have never read. He doesn't just promise a one-course meal of meat. He promises meat for a whole month. How many could live month to month with this kind of God? You live day by day. How many could live month by month with this kind of God? And Moses could hardly believe it, literally. Numbers eleven twenty-one says, And Moses said, the people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot, God. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? See, Moses is doing the math in his mind, and the math just doesn't add up. It's not even close. He's trying to think of any conceivable way that God could fulfill this promise, and he can't think of a single scenario that God can do to fulfill this promise. He doesn't see how God can fulfill his impossible promise for a day, let alone a month. Have some of you folks ever been there? You know, sometime when you want to step out on faith and you trust him with your finances, but it doesn't add up. You know, God wants you to practice lordship with your talents, but it doesn't add up. You know, God wants you to take a different job, but it doesn't add up. You know, God wants you to go on a mission trip, but it doesn't add up. You know, God wants to, you to go back to school, but it doesn't add up. Let me change stories right quick. That predicament that Moses was in in the wilderness shows up again in the New Testament about 1,500 years later. But there's a new man in charge today. His name is Jesus. And he doesn't want to send these people away hungry. He's brought some people out in the desert, and he's, he's talked to them, and, and they all get hungry. And, and one of the disciples come up and said, these people are hungry, and we don't have anything to feed them. He said, how much do we have? And Philip said, 200 penny worth. Then a nameless little boy comes up, a little boy that brought his lunch, comes up with five loaves and two fish to Jesus. It's a nice gesture. But Andrew verbalizes what all the other disciples must be thinking. He said, how far will these go with so many? And like Moses, Andrew starts doing the math in his head, and it doesn't add up. In terms of addition, he says 5 plus 2 equals 7. But if you add God into the equation, 5 plus 2 is greater than 7. And when you give it to God, he multiplies it. 5 plus 2 equals 5,000. But not only does God multiply the meal so that it feeds 5,000 men plus women and children, they actually end up with more leftovers than the food they started with. Oh, I'm fixing to preach right now. Only in God's economy. Twelve baskets remain. Means the most accurate equation is this. Five plus two equals 5,000 with a remainder of 12. 
Because you see, you've got to recall this. Right before the miracle, Jesus did something special. The Bible said he gave thanks. He didn't wait till after the miracle. He thanked God before the miracle. I think one of the things we need to work on in 2013 is our thanks to God. Not after the battle is over, but before we go into the battle. I think we ought to get up every morning clapping our hands and say, you're a great God. I think we ought to go to bed every night clapping our hands and say, you're an awesome Savior. Come on now. I think we ought to get to church every Sunday morning and we ought to have a praise in our heart. We ought to clap our hands and rejoice and say, He is a great God and worthy to be praised in our lives. Woo! See, because what you have to understand is if Jesus Christ gave thanks, we must give thanks. And if you put what little you have in your hand into the hands of Almighty God, it won't just add up. God will make it multiply. What is the step of faith that you need in your pursuing of a big dream? What is that step of faith? Let's go back to Numbers chapter 11, back to the miracle of meat in the wilderness. The Bible said in 1131, now the wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. And it brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground. Woo! As far as a day's walk in any direction. And all that day and night and all the next day the people went out and gathered quail. And no one gathered less than ten homers. They were grand slams. I thought I'd add a little sports in there. Then they spread them out around the camp. The Israelites, hear me now, were parked in a wilderness of Paran and it was a region about 50 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea and about 50 miles southwest of the Dead Sea. In significance, this is an important location because quail tend to live by the water and they don't fly long distances and 50 miles is a long way to fly. And if it weren't for a supernatural west wind, they would have never made it that far inland. So this was not only a miracle, it was a meteorological miracle. And it was not just miraculous west wind. There was a cloud burst and it rained quail from the sky. Verse 31 said the quail were everywhere within a day's walk. Based on the Hebrew system of measurement, a day's walk was approximately 15 miles in any direction. So if you started in town square and walked west or walked east or walked north or walked south and 15 miles... If you were to square the radius and multiply by pi, we're talking about an area of almost 700 square miles. I looked it up. The largest city in Texas is Houston, Texas. The fourth largest city in Texas is Austin, Texas. But I looked it up. I looked this up, and I want to tell you something. Here's what you got to understand. Houston is 601 square miles. So 700 miles, another 100 miles outside of Houston... As far as you could walk in one day was quail three feet high. Honey, they were swimming in quail. They had quail. And the Bible said that there were birds that flew in that day, that, that God sent quail that day. I'm going to tell you it was a bird blizzard. I'm going to tell you it was a quail megadon. 
I think that's where Alfred Hitchcock got his idea for the birds. Because there's something powerful about this God. Listen to me. He doesn't just answer prayer. He answers fantastically when he answers your prayer. I've never preached this story right here in this Bible before, but I want to tell you something. If you want a little blessing, you're going to pray to a little God. But when you start praying to my God, you've got to start praying for something big. God can send things to your life that you cannot imagine today would ever come. He's a big God. Come on. He's a big God. He is a big God. Hallelujah. Which leaves me to tell you it's always cloudy with a chance of quail. Somebody needs to dream big. Somebody needs to pray big. And the bigger you draw your circle, the more you're believing that God can do anything for you. Hallelujah. I feel like a baton twirler. The bigger you can draw that circle, don't get yourself in a little old bitty circle, say, God, my foreign no more. Get that staff out there and draw you a huge circle. Say, God, you are able to do exceeding abundantly above that. I am able to ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Come on, clap your hands and rejoice. There is a blessing waiting for you. The Bible said that each Israelite gathered no less than 10 homers. They were grand slams, I called it a while ago. A homer is a measurement. It equated to roughly 200 liters. Assuming that the quail were of average size, it rained somewhere in the neighborhood of 105 million quail one day. I didn't know there was that many quail out there. But one day it rained 105 million quail. God just doesn't provide dramatic fashions. He provides in dramatic proportions. And Moses could have never anticipated this answer to his prayer. And some of you, if you would believe it with all your heart, God has some unpredictable, unprecedented things that he wants to do in your life. And when you circle the promise, you never know how God will provide. But I promise you, do you think it's time for you to stop doing arithmetic and start doing some geometry? Why don't you put down your pencil and pad? Why don't you get your stick and start drawing some circles? Why don't you get into geometry? Why don't you let God do the math? Why don't you let God? Because, see, Jesus Christ, when he came, he didn't talk about addition and subtraction. He talked about multiplication. He said, you put a seed in the ground. He said, it'll, it'll come back 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. He didn't talk about, oh, I'll send you two seeds every time you put one in the ground. He said, I'm going to give it a... In other words, he said, if you put a seed in the ground, I'll bring a 100 just like it out of the ground. If you'll try me, some people can't trust God with their giving. They can't trust God with their tithing. They can't trust God with their stewardship because they think, you know, they think math. God doesn't think math. God thinks multiplication. And when you put that seed in the ground and say, I'm going to trust you, God, you better back up and get ready because God's fixed to pour something on you that you can't contain. 
That's why we call it, the only way we can describe it is heaped up, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's the only way that you can describe it because God does multiplication, not addition and subtraction. Clap your hands and rejoice in that right now. Woo! When you add God into the equation of your finances, it changes the whole game. If you give generously and sacrificially, the day may come when you're giving more than you're currently making. If you believe that, that promise might be worth circling. There are people in this room whose current tithe is more than their entire salary was in times past. Don't get quiet on me. It's going to get better. God is offended at anything less than those kind of dreams. He's not offended at big dreams. Your dreams may start out small, and God will honor those humble dreams. But as your faith grows, so does your dreams until you dare to dream 30 and 60 and 100-fold dreams. Is there a promise you need to circle in your life? Maybe you need to circle a promise of your marriage or your children. Maybe you need to circle a promise for the stage in your life. Maybe you need to circle a promise for the fear you are facing or a dream you're pursuing. Here's what you got to do. Before the quail storm appeared on the Doppler radar, God asked Moses a question. And it's more than a question. It is the question. And I'm going to preach it for about five minutes and then let you go. Your answer to this question, the question, will determine the size of your prayer circle. I'm going to read it in another translation first, and I'm going to bring it to the, to the, to the, to the uh, good news translation. But here's what I want to say. And the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. But in the good news translation, I put it up, is there a limit to my power? You will soon see whether what I have said will happen or not. That's the question you're going to have to answer in your circle making. Is there a limit, oh, hallelujah, to God's power? How many believe that God can do anything? How many believe that God wants to do great things in your life? The question you're going to have to answer in your life, the question you're going to have to answer, is there, is there a limit to my power? Leave it up there. Is there a limit to my power? Is there a limit to my power? Is there a limit to my power? There is no limit to God's power. Oh, I want to skip this morning. I want to praise him this morning. God can do anything. That's the question you're going to have to answer today. The obvious answer to that question is no. There is no limit to God's power. God's omnipotent. Which means by definition there is nothing God cannot do. Yet many of us pray as if our problems are bigger than God. Hear me. God is bigger than all your problems. He's bigger than all your fears. So that reminds you of a high-octane truth that should fuel your faith. God is infinitely bigger than your biggest problem or your biggest dream. And while we're on the topic, His grace is infinitely bigger than your biggest sin. Your biggest problem isn't an impending divorce or a failing business or a doctor's diagnosis. Please understand, I'm not making light of your relational or financial or health issues. I certainly don't want to minimize the overwhelming challenge you may be facing. But in order to regain a godly perspective on your problem, you have to answer this question. 
is there any limit to my power? And when you come to conclusions of the matter, the answer is a simple yes or the answer is a simple no. There is no limit to your power, God. And when you believe that with everything that's in your heart, if you believe that with everything that's in your mind, if you believe that with everything that's in your being, that there is no limit to my power, then God can heal your marriage. He can heal your child. He's bigger than that positive MRI. He's bigger than that negative evaluation. He's bigger than your secret sin. He's bigger than your secret dream. Moses was perplexed. We get perplexed. How could God possibly bring meat for a month? It didn't add up. Get out of mathematics and get into multiplication. Get out of addition and say God can do anything. 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 We have this trained syndrome. We're a trained people, and I've got to close. We're a trained people. Help me, Randy. We're a trained people. People. It's like they put fleas in a jar and put a lid on the jar, and the flea will jump and hit his head against the lid of the jar. And after about a month, they take that lid off, and that flea will not jump out of that jar. It's trained. It's trained ideologies. It's trained. And we have been sitting in some churches for so long that say that, you know what? You better watch out. God's going to get you. And we have such a fear of God, we're afraid to approach the throne of God. But the fear that God speaks about is not a fear to fear him. It's a fear to respect who he is. It's kind of like Alexander the Great one day said on his throne after he had conquered all the worlds that he thought he could ever conquer. And a young man walked in. He said, sir, I have served you bravely. He said, what do you want? Speak to me. He said, I want to marry your daughter. And the men that were beside Alexander the Great knew the next move was going to be a sword to take his head off. He said, you want to what? And he screamed at him. He said, I want to marry your daughter. What gives you the right to think you're good enough for my daughter? He said, that's not for you to understand, sir. But my wishes are to marry your daughter. Yes or no, sir, that's what I'm asking for. And Alexander the Great said, what are you willing to pay? He said, nothing, sir, except a love and a compassion and a giving to her what she needs in her life, sir. I will be the very best for her. And the men beside him said, uh-oh, his head's gone now. And Alexander the Great said, you may have her. And the man jumped up and down and clicked his heels. And on his way out, Alexander said, oh, by the way, does my daughter want to marry you? <laughs> yes, sir, she does. And the man walked out of the room having stood before the meanest, most maniacal world conqueror that would not take stupidity at all and walked out and got to marry the conqueror's daughter. Here's what I want to tell you. If Alexander the Great can be stood down, 
If Alexander the Great can bring a wish to come to pass, we have a heavenly father who wants to bless this congregation of people in 2013. And I think it's time, it's high time that we draw a circle in our life and just get it big as we can get it and say, Lord, I've never asked for a $30,000 raise in a year, but I'm asking for it. I've never asked God for you to do a particular thing on my job, but I'm going to ask it today. God, I've never asked. I've always been kind of bashful because I wasn't the best looking woman or the most handsome man, but I'd like to have a relationship this year. I'd like to have me a feller. I'd like to have me, can you spell that? I'd like to have me a nice lady. I'd like to be able to go to Pastor Johnson's office and say, ha, we're going to get married. What's wrong with that? You're not standing in front of Alexander the Great who's going to take your head off. You're standing in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who said, ask me anything. 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 Come on. Ask me anything. And I will give it to you. If you ask, you shall receive. If you knock, it shall be open. If you seek, you shall find. The question you're going to have to answer today, the question you're going to have to answer this year, the question you're going to have to answer in your life, is this, put it up. Is there any limit to my power? You're going to have to ask that question. I can't answer it for you because there's no limit to God in my thinking. I've asked him for a hundred new tithers this year, a hundred new people that want to give to a cause greater than themselves. I've asked him for a new building this year, for us to start plans on a new building. I've asked him for expansions this year. I've asked him for, for us to be able to build an orphanage in, in Honduras. I've asked him for a lot of things this year. I've made the circle real big around my heart. I'm telling you, quail's fixing to come. It's partly cloudy, but there's a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance of quail. I want you to stand to your feet. You're awesome people, and I love you very, very much, and I have preached to you today. Everybody say, dream big. Dream big. Say it, dream big. Say, dream big. God is able. God is able. God is able. Even a leper looked at him one day and said, I know you can. My situation is, will you? I wish I could get some people that say, I know he is able. I know he is able. And because he is able, he will affect my life if I trust him. You know what you ought to do? Some of you ought to walk around your neighborhood and claim homes in your neighborhood for Jesus Christ. Some of you ought to walk around your school and claim some kids in your school for Jesus Christ. Some of you ought to walk around your office and claim people for Jesus Christ. Hey, 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 what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? If Pony can bring rain in the middle of a drought, God can bring souls to the kingdom of God in the middle of your prayer.
Anybody want a prayer today? Anybody want a prayer answered? Won't you walk this aisle right now? Come on. Walk this aisle right now, everybody. We're giving a general prayer. General prayer right now. Anybody, anybody want a miracle in your life in the next few days? We're on a 21-day prayer cycle right now. 21-day prayer cycle. God is able. 21-day prayer cycle. 21 days. We started it January the 6th. We'll conclude it January the 27th. It's every day we're going to get up and we're going to claim the promises of God. We're going to claim the promises of God. Come on down right now. Come on down. If you just want a prayer answered, if you want something from God in 2013, but you have to answer the question, is there anything too great for my power? Is there anything too big that I cannot do? Is there anything too great that I cannot accomplish? Is there anything too great? I want to go on record and say this as you're walking to the front right now. God has already selected some men, some kings in this church, some people that are going to give tremendous offerings to CLC, tremendous blessings so we can launch forward. We're going to have a parking lot to pay. We've got a new building to build. We've got a Honduras mission to, to construct. We've got some things that we want to do in expansion. But God's already laid on the heart of men. God, I want these men to be touched today by the presence of God. I want them to be touched by your glory today and let them understand that you can do exceeding abundantly above that, that they're able to ask or think. So we're going to dream bigger than we've ever dreamed in our life. We're going to draw circles around your promises and we're going to stand in them until you complete the journey in our life. Raise your hands in the audience right now. Raise your hands around this altar. Come on, ask God. God, I need some help right now. I pray to you right now. I seek your face right now. I believe in you right now. I trust in you right now. I love you right now. I know you're able, God. I know you're able. I know you are able to do a work in my life. You're able to do a work in my marriage. You're able to do a work, God, in my kids. You're able, God, to do a work in my job. You're able, God, to bless my company. You're able, God, to touch my people. You're able, God, to heal my family. You're able, God, to touch my father. You're able, God, to heal my mom. You're able, you're able, you're able. You are able right now. You're able. Come on. Come on. Pray to him right now. 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 Circle the promises of God in your life. Circle them, circle them, circle them. Believe that God can. Believe that God will. Believe that God is. Believe that God will complete that that he's begun in your life. Would you put your hands above your heads and clap to the Lord right now and give thanks. Come on, give thanks right now. 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 Hallelujah! 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Say, Pastor, there is nothing. Out of the limits of God's power. He can do anything. 
He can do anything. God told me when I entered this pulpit on January the 6th to preach nothing but pure faith for the month of January. It's faith, faith, faith. The gift of faith needs to operate in this church. The gift of faith needs to operate in this church. There needs to be a gift of faith in all of our hearts. That when we see a situation, we don't crucialize. We don't say, oh my God. But we see a situation and say, but my God. We don't need to be a crucializing church. That everything is the end of the road instead of everything is the beginning of a brand new experience with God. God is able. God is able. God is able. Take your neighbor by the hand. Just take them by the hand and look at them and say, There are no limits to his power. Say it. There are no limits. There are no limits. There are no limits. There are no limits. Tomorrow is day nine of our 21-day prayer cycle. Tomorrow is the, tw- the ninth day of 21 days. I want you to write things down. I want you to write them down. A lady came to me on Wednesday night after we taught on Extraordinary. A lady came to me and said, Pastor, the doctor had diagnosed me with lupus, just a thought, and said, I, I prayed. I said, God, you can heal lupus. Said, Pastor, I just came from the doctor yesterday. There's no records of it in my body any longer. Now, now. Scott Campbell, former representative Scott Campbell, had to go to MD Anderson this last week because. They thought his cancer had come back. He was supposed to not live over six months three years ago. And he had been diagnosed with cancer all over his body. He went back to the doctor this week and they said, Scott, don't understand it. There's not any cancer cells in you. None. None. I'm not telling you that just to get you to applaud. I'm telling you that because there is no limit the power of my God. There is no limit. So when you get up in the morning, say, God, you can fix a marriage. You can fix my kids. You can fix, you can help me, God. And God, whatever I have to do, I'll do. But God, you can fix it. You can cause rain to come. I see it's partly cloudy with the chance of quail today. And I'm going to eat. And I'm going to be blessed. And I'm going to be touched by the power and the presence of God. Because I'm going to dream big. Pastor said, I can. It'll happen. Lift your hands and say, I accept it, Pastor. I accept it, Pastor. Amen. I accept it in the name of the Lord. I accept it in the name of the Lord. I accept it in the name of the Lord. Let me find something here right quick. Amen. Before we leave, keep your hands in the air. Amen. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying to them, The Lord bless thee, the Lord keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance unto thee and give thee peace. 
and they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So I bless you today in the name of the Lord. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance up to thee and give you peace. And may he put his name upon you because he is a God that is limitless in his ability. Amen. I bless you today. God bless you. 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 Read again. Love somebody. Leave here slow. Come back quick. Wednesday night, we're back in church. Extraordinary. I love you very much. Have a blessed day. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.